It really is good to see you guys. Um, we're going to finish up tonight. We're going to finish um, of God and the Holy Trinity. And um, we've had about three lectures now on this. And so I want to quickly go through the three statements. And then we're going to stay on that last statement and focus on the Trinity. And in particular, Jesus and the deity of Christ. We're going to kind of focus on that tonight. So the first paragraph that we saw, well, let's go ahead and, and open in prayer before we get going. Um, Father, I, I do thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to come here and share your truth and your love with the men and women in this room. And Lord, you know each and every one of us here, and there's not a one of us in this room that are without struggles. Um, we all have our battles that we're fighting right now, and we need your help. We need your guidance. We need you, Holy Spirit, to give us the peace and the uh, mercy and the grace and the hope and and the wisdom to be able to uh, continue on to to walk in your light and your love and your truth so please help us to do that and uh, father i certainly am taking on a, a very big subject tonight and i certainly will not be able to adequately uh, talk about you because you are indescribable uh, but we are going to uh, we are going to get into your word tonight so that we can learn more about you and i just pray that you will open every heart and every uh uh, ear and and every uh, mind here to help us to grasp more of who you are so that we can know you better so that we can trust you better so that we can walk with you better so be with us in this little bit of time that we have in christ's name we pray amen, amen. so in that first paragraph it said the lord our god is but one only living and true god whose subsistence is in and of himself he is infinite in being and perfection his essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself. A most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach into. He is immutable. He is immense. He is eternal. He is incomprehensible. He is almighty. In every way infinite. And most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sin, the rewarder of those who diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. So this goes, this, this passage, this statement is trying to teach us about God that he is holy, 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 right? Um, when we read that in the scriptures, the angels say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You never hear God is described as love, 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 or peace, peace, peace. He's described as holy, holy, holy. And what that means, He is otherly. He is completely unlike His creation. Uh, uh, completely separate from His creation. There is no that way that we can attain Him. There is no way that we could grasp Him with our minds or with our hearts. He is immeasurable. He's immense. And He is God. And what we need to take from that first statement, one of the things we really need to understand is that God is the Creator. God is the Creator. And everything else is His creation. 
and all of the heresies that have ever come about in the church and all of our misunderstandings and all of our misconceptions of God generally have to do with me trying to bring the Creator into the creation. In other words, I, I want to... I want to mold together both creator and creation. I want to make it one. Right? Um, there's a, a religious uh, thought called pantheism, which means God is all. He's the trees. He's the birds. He's the sky. He's the sun. He's the moon, the stars. He is all of his creation. You know, And you can know him by staring at the sun. But the truth of the matter is, what that's doing is, is that's making God like us. And so I want you to turn really quickly over to the book of Romans. Let's go to the book of Romans and look at Romans chapter 1 and kind of talk about that flaw, that flaw that we have as human beings. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is talking about the power of the gospel and he's also talking about the need for the gospel, the need for the good news of Jesus Christ. And look at um, Romans 1 verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What he's saying there is we as human beings in our fallen nature, as Adam's offspring, we have this innate nature, this innate tendency to willfully suppress truth. What does it mean to suppress something? It means to push it down. If you go to the trash can and it's full, you suppress the trash because you don't want to have to be the one to take it out. If you go to the laundry basket and it's full, you suppress the laundry because you don't want to have to wash clothes. And what the Bible teaches us is that our fallen nature as human beings, we willfully suppress truth. We don't want to deal with the truth. We don't want to know the truth. We don't want to understand or grasp the truth. So we push it down and act like it's not there. So in unrighteousness, men suppress the truth. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. There's no such thing as an atheist. If somebody tells you they do not believe in God, the Bible says that they are lying to your face. Alright? God has placed within each and every human being the fact that we were created in His image. He's given us a conscience. And deep down inside of every person, they know that there is a God. Now, they will try to willfully suppress that truth. They might not want to deal with Him, right? They might not want to acknowledge Him, right? But the fact of the matter is that every person is without excuse because God has placed within all mankind a knowledge that He is there. Now, watch what happens. It says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Now think about that. It said His invisible attributes have clearly been been seen. Pretty strange, isn't it? How can an invisible attribute be seen? Love, joy, peace, patience, kind They can be seen. Alright? It says being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So what it's saying is God is not the creation but the creation around you screams the evidence that there is a God. It screams at us. We lay in bed as little babies and when the lights go off, we scream and tell Mama to come turn the lights on because just innately inside of us, we know that dark is bad and light is wow. good. Right? Mama, 
turn the light on. And she comes to turn the light on, you go right to sleep then, can't you? Just one little bit of light in the room. And you've got to make it dark to go to sleep, don't you? you got to close your eyes to go to sleep. But you can close your eyes and rest when you know that if you open them, there's light there. Wow. And so... Everything around us screams that there is a God, but men willfully suppress that truth. They push it down. They don't want to deal with it. Why? Because God is other than us. We can't grasp Him. We can't understand Him. And we most definitely cannot control Him or persuade Him or change Him. And we don't like that. We like to be the boss. We like to be the one calling the shots. Right? One of the things the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, right? Well, to call Him Lord means that He's the boss of me. It means to recognize that He is the God and I'm not. So it says in verse 21, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But what happened? They became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So, what does it say? Man willfully suppressed the truth and and, and proclaiming himself wise, he became foolish. And what he did is he started making God like the creation around him. He took God and tried to put him in a box by making him creation. So when you see people worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars and the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees, when you see them worshiping men, right, American Idol, right, all of our sports heroes, we find something in the creation that we can make our God, something that's like us. So when you see all of the false gods, the the pantheon of the the Greek gods or, or the Roman gods, All of their gods are just like us. They get angry. They cheat on each other. They lie. They're manipulative. You see? And, and we, we, inevitably, we want a God that's like us. We want to make him like us because then we can understand him. Then we can control him. Then we can grasp him. But that first paragraph that we read there shows us how much different God is than we are. And all, and I, I do want to encourage you to take some time and go through and read those, the, the scriptural references to um, all of these statements about him being infinite, him being most pure, invisible, without body, without parts or passions, right? Uh, passions being... So when we say that God gets angry, right? That's an anthropomorphic term. And what it is, it's a way for to, to describe God in a way that we can grasp him. But it's not like God sits up in heaven and giggles, Right? The Bible says that he laughs at mankind in their rebellion, right? That, that man balls up his fist and curses God and yet God laughs at him. But when this says God is without passions, what it means is he don't change. He don't get happy. He don't get sad. He don't get angry. Those are all terms that are used by the writers of Scripture and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to help us to understand him. But when it says he's without passions, what that means is... He's smooth. He don't, he don't, he's not on a roller coaster. He don't get mad today and, and, and happy tomorrow. He's without passions. He's immutable, unchanging. God never regrets anything that he does. 
Now, in the Scriptures, you'll read where it says that it saddened the Lord that He had made man on the earth and He decided He was going to wipe him out. But again, it's using anthropomorphic language to help us understand Him. But these terms tell us who He is. Most wise, most free, most absolute. Works all things according to His will for His glory. He's loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. Forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but also judging, right? And having justice and hating sin. And he will no wise clear the guilty. What does that mean? If you die with guilt on you, you will be judged by him for it. The reason that he sent Jesus his son down here was because he's loving and gracious and merciful and long-suffering. And he sent him to die to save broken, rebellious folks like us. And so if we turn to Christ and trust him... Christ pays for our sins. There's now no for, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We don't have to answer to God's judgment anymore because Christ has already taken that judgment for us. So that's that first paragraph. Um, again, I've given you that paperwork so that you can have that and keep it. And I would uh, encourage you to go back on your own time and meditate. Go back through those scriptural references there and meditate on what it's saying. All right. And the uh, second paragraph it said god having all life glory goodness blessedness in and of himself is alone in and unto himself all sufficient not standing in need of any creature which he had made nor nor deriving any glory from them so think about that god does not need his creation god does not need your praise he does not need your tithes and offerings. He does not need your anything from you. He does not need anything from us. He's God. He's all he's self-sufficient, right? And nothing in this creation enhances him or makes him better. Nothing. And so it, it, uh, it says, not standing in need of any creature which he has made nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting His own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. So the Bible says that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, right? Everything that happens in this world, both good and evil, will one day be shown to be for our good and His glory. Everything is going to be used for His glory. On that final day, when we we know as we are known, we're going to be able to look back on this life and we're going to be able to look back on the plan that God placed in place with Adam and Eve when He breathed breath into Adam's nose, when He created everything. We're going to be able to look back and see all the brokenness and all the pain and all the sorrow and all the suffering that we've gone through in this world and realize that God's hands was all over it. Amen. And it was for our good and for His glory, all right? And if we can, if we can ever, if we can ever get a grasp of the fact that God is good, that is just so hard for us to grasp. He's good, and nothing that He does is not good. Now, does God is God the cause of evil? No, but God does allow it. God allows evil. And all of the evil, wicked things that you have ever done in your life, one day will be turned around and glorify God. 
it will either glorify him when you're judged and cast into hell or glorify him when his mercy and his grace is shown in your life and he saves you. You see how that works? It's an amazing thing to think about. God is in control. He's good. He's God. And we need to remember that. It says, um, He alone is the fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. And He has most sovereign dominion over all creatures to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatever He pleases. All right, let's, let's go look at a passage of Scripture. Turn with me. We're in Romans, so let's go over to Romans chapter 11. So did you just basically say evil is good? No, I did not say that. I said that God is not the cause of evil, but God allows evil. And in the end, evil the evil that has taken place in this world is going to be shown to be for God's good. Like even the evil things that happen in this world are going to turn around and be used by God for good. So the, 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 the best example of that I can think of is Jesus hanging on the cross. The most evil thing that ever took place was when man crucified God in the flesh and nailed him to a cross. It was the most wicked thing that ever took place. And yet with the most wicked thing that ever took place, he was saving a people unto himself. He was pouring his blood out for his sheep on a cross. So you see how that works? So even when wickedness has taken place, God will turn it around and use it for our good and his glory. And the devil never wins. Like it, As evil as he can get, God's still going to turn it around and use it for good. Right? That's kind of in the book of Revelation, it talks about how we are conquerors, more than conquerors, in Christ. And what it means is we've already won. Because of what Christ has done on the cross for us, the game's over. This is just mop-up duty now. He's crushed the serpent's head and the devil is writhing around trying to take whoever he can with him. But the reality is we, are, we, we have won in Christ. It's over. The battle's over. Christ, when, and that's what my shirt said there, to tell us that it is finished. It's done. The work has been done. And all we have to do is stop trusting in what we're doing and trusting what he's done. Amen. Just trust him. He's won. So, um, did, did that help clear up that question for you? Okay. All right. Um, so, again, and, and what you asked me is very important. There's a term in theology. It's called theodicy. And, and that the word means if God is basically the quest for an understanding of if God is good, why does evil happen? You know, and and we've all wrestled with that even in our own lives. Oh God, why are you letting this happen to me? Yeah, and the truth of the matter is, um, we're 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 like little children. I, I was just thinking about this riding down the road the other day. And how many of you? I don't know if you have kids. I, I work with kids. I've never had a kid of my own, but I do remember seeing my sisters and brothers and family working with kids, little kids. And they'll ask you a question, and you answer them, and then they'll say, well, why? And then you answer that question, and they say, why? And the why never stops. And sometimes I think that's maybe the way that God hears our prayers and our requests. It's like, why, why, why? 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 And we sound like babbling children now. He's not going to tell you because you don't... Think about the kids. When you're explaining things to your kids, why do they keep asking why? Because they simply don't have the mind to grasp the consequences, the circumstances, or the realities of, of what they're even talking about. And it's the same way with us when we're asking of God things. It's like He's not going to answer you because you wouldn't understand it even if He did answer you. 
So most of the time, the questions that we ask God, you know what the answer is? Because I said so. That's you. That's almost every time. That's the answer. Why God? Why? Because I'm good. You're evil. I love you. I've forgiven you. I've saved you, and I'm trying to get you to walk on the right path. You know why? 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 And the answer is because. And if we could ever, if we can grasp how good He is, then the because is not a problem. Our problem is we want to question His goodness. We want to question His wisdom. We want to question His providence and His sovereignty. He's God. He's in control. And we want to question that. Because we're creatures and that's what we do. So, um, it says, uh, he, is, he has most sovereign dominion over all creatures to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever He will. Whatever He pleases, He can do to you. Pretty powerful statement, isn't it? We don't think about that a lot. In His sight, all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite. What does that mean? He knows everything. It's infallible. He, he's never made a mistake or misguessed or, or, or said, Oops, I didn't mean to do that. Infallible and independent upon the creature so as nothing is to Him contingent or uncertain. Now that's a powerful statement. What that means is, None of your actions are going to change His goodness. None of your actions are going to change His plan. None of your actions are going to catch Him by surprise. None of your, He's not waiting on you to make a decision for Him to do what He does. His, his plan is not contingent on you. Right? The world is theocentric. That means it is God-centered. It is not egocentric. It's not... The world is not revolving around you. And back to the whole kid thing, when we're children, we really believe that. And as you mature and as you grow, you're going to realize most of the world could care less about you. And most of the world ain't going to listen to your gripes and your complaints. And most of the world could care less if you're successful or you fail. And this world is not revolving around you. And... Here's a little uh, nugget for you. It's not about you. Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's about God and others. And if you could ever live your life for God and other people instead of living for yourself, you'd find your purpose and your meaning in life. Our problem is we look to self. And when you live for yourself, God is just going to simply show you how empty you are. And that's just as simple as it gets. You live for you and God's going to say, okay, let me show you how empty you are without me and without others. Okay? So, he's, uh, he's most holy in all His counsels and all His work and in all His commands. To Him is due from angels and men whatsoever worship, service, or obedience as creatures they owe unto the Creator and whatever He further pleased to require of them. All right? And so, um, let's look at a passage of Scripture. Let's turn over to the book of the Revelation. Y'all remember there's no S at the end of that? Right. And you have my permission to correct anybody that puts an S on the end of it? Because there's only one revelation, and it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of the future. It's Even though it talks about the future, it's about Jesus. 
Right? It's not about guessing when World War Four, three or four is going to happen, or when nuclear bombs are going to go off, or when Israel is going to get the land. That's not what the Book of Revelation is about. It's called the Revelation of Jesus Christ, and it's about Him and what He did, what He is doing, and what He will do. And it's all centered on Him. It's all about Him. So Revelation chapter five, and we'll look at verses twelve through. Well, let's let's start. In verse 8, it said, When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before who? The The Lamb. Lamb, Each one holding a harp, a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, and tongue, and people, and nation. So with his blood, he purchased a people for himself. Who are those people? His sheep. Let's say everyone now. It says, it said, you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men. It doesn't say all men, does it? It says men from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. When Jesus was breathing out his last breath on that cross, he was thinking about his sheep. He said, I am the good shepherd and I lay my life down for my sheep. How do you know if you're his sheep or not? You will hear his voice and when he calls you, you will come. Amen. If you've come to him, he died for you. You see, that's the gospel message. The gospel message is not that Jesus died for everyone and now there's a chance for you to be saved. The message is he died on the cross to save people for himself. And if you repent and turn to him, you will be safe. And if you turn to him, you'll know you're his because you've heard his voice and you've come to him. See, who does the proclamation go out to? Who does the gospel go out to? All the world. Who comes to him? These people he's talking about right here. See how that works? You're worthy to take the book and break seal for you were slain. And you purchased, you bought a people, you redeemed a people for God with your blood. Men from every, and that's you too, ladies, right? That's mankind. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, The numbers of them were myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive honor, power, riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every created thing, which is in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and on the seas, and all the things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Alright? I want you to turn with me really quickly back to the book of Psalms. Psalm 148. Psalm 148. Do you remember in the book of Romans how Paul said that the whole earth groans in travail? Right? This whole earth is under a curse. The trees, the birds, the bees, the flowers, man, women, children, we all groan in pain and travail. The curse is pressing down upon us and it's killing us and it makes us suffer and it's hard, right? And so the whole earth is groaning and Jesus came and died to save us 
from that curse. To save us from that, that fallen nature and to give us hope and to give us eternal life. And so look at um, Psalm 148. Look what it says. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all of His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon and stars. Praise Him, all the stars of light. Praise Him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For He commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, the sea monsters and all the deep. The fire and the hail and the snow and the clouds. The stormy winds fulfilling His words, mountains and all the hills, fruit trees and all the cedars, beasts and all the cattle, creeping things and winged fowl and kings of the earth and all the people, princes and the judges of the earth, young men and virgins, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. Alright? Now notice the saying, praise the Lord, right? Now that's the Old Testament. These folks, they, they you don't see them praising Jesus. But it's saying, praise the Lord, praise Yahweh. Alright? And one of the things we're fixing to get into in here in just a second is every time you see the word Lord in the New Testament, it's the word Yahweh. And how many times in the New Testament do you see Jesus Christ is Lord? Alright? Now you will you will hear people tell you that Jesus never said that he was God. Jesus accepts the title of Lord. That is Yahweh. Jesus accepted the worship of people who fell at His feet. Jesus knows the Ten Commandments. He's the one that handed them to Moses on the top of the mountain, by the way. He's the one that gave the Ten Commandments. And He knows that you shall have no other gods before Him because He's a jealous God. And you shall not bow down and worship anything in the creation over the Creator. And all through the New Testament, all through the life of Jesus, when people would fall down at His feet and worship them, He would receive their worship. All right? He's God. And it's just that simple. But that passage is talking about how all of the earth, everything, all of creation is supposed to praise Him, our Creator. And because of this curse that we live under, a lot of the world doesn't praise Him. It actually curses Him and groans against Him, you see? But for those of us who have been saved, those of us who have been called according to His purpose, when that new heavens and that new earth comes along, can you imagine when the entirety of creation sings in harmony together to our God and our Creator? It's going to be an amazing day. It is going to be an amazing day. And so, um, let's uh, go ahead and look at this last paragraph. Let's kind of wind it down. Because uh, we're running out of time. It says, In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences. The Father, the Word, or Son, and the Holy Spirit of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence is undivided. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor, nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, all infinite, without being, therefore, but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several 
peculiar relative properties and personal relations which the doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence upon Him. So it's talking about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that Trinity, that, that triune nature of God is the very essence of, our, of what we, He is the very essence of what we worship. So, when I pray, who do I pray to? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes. The answer is yes. Who do I pray to? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yes. All right. So can you bow your head tonight and say, Holy Spirit, please hear my prayer? Amen. Yeah. Jesus. Yep. Can you hear me? Right. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you can pray to them all. Now, we, we have a relationship with the Father. He, he's adopted us in His family through the Son. And so the Son was revealed to us when He became a man and walked among us. Amen. You see? And so now we understand God because He clothed Himself in humanity and walked among us. He came down to our level so we could grasp Him because we could never go to His level and grasp Him. Amen. So He came to us. He was not created. He was born. All right? And then the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And so that triune nature is how we understand, how we worship, how we relate to God. He, he, it's His very essence of who He is. And so let's look at really quickly at a couple of verses of Scripture. Um, I want to look at Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Everybody there? Matthew 28 and verse 19. All right, it says this. Part of the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All right, why am I reading that verse? Because it's the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Y'all see that? Mm -hmm. It doesn't say the names. It says the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now remember, when Jesus was getting baptized, there was a voice from heaven uh, that said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus is not a ventriloquist. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit came out of heaven and ascended upon Him. So He's standing in the water. You have the Holy Spirit coming and descending upon Him and the Father in Heaven saying, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. So you have the Trinity right there at the baptism. And so, and it's a part of the baptismal formula. We're to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you remember in Revelation and name? Just one. Y'all remember that. I, and you remember at the very beginning in, in Genesis 1.26, what does it say? Let us make man in our image. So what you have, you have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit uh, in, in communion together and, and, and fellowship and, and communion, talking together. Let us make man in our image. And so... Um, one more quick one. Second uh, Corinthians, one of my favorites. Second Corinthians, um, verse thirteen and fourteen. Second Corinthians, verse thirteen and fourteen. Verse. 
And I, yeah, but I, if I'm at First Corinthians, I'm not going to see it. I got to go to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians 13 and verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Right? And you could put y'all there if you're from the South. I think Paul is a Southern because he says reckon a lot in there. I reckon. Yeah, he does say reckon. I think Paul is Southern. Actually, he's Greek, but Roman. But anyhow, um, so I want to look at one more thing we, quickly. We got about five minutes, and I want to focus mainly on the deity of Jesus Christ because that is the one thing that separates us as Christians from all of the other religions out there. You can sit around at a dinner table with a Muslim and a Jehovah Witness and a Mormon and all of those different uh, isms that are out there, and everybody would be happy to tell you that Jesus is a prophet. Everybody would be happy to tell you that Jesus is the Son of God, a Son of God. They would be happy to tell you that Jesus is a good man, and et cetera, et cetera. But only the Christian would remain at that table when you say, yeah, but he's God. Only the Christian. None of those other religions would, would go there. And so I want to see really quickly. Look at Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. It's all the way back at the beginning when Moses is um, at the burning bush. And uh, we'll look at verse 13 and 14. It says, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. All right. So what did God say his name was? I am. Ego me is what he says. And, and so... You can, um, I gave you this piece of paper with this I am, and um, I'm not going to have time to go through all of it tonight, but you can go through the Old Testament, and there's a bunch of scriptural references of where God refers to himself as the ego me, the I am, all right? So all through the Old Testament, before Jesus was ever born, now, Jesus existed before he was born. He's eternal. But before he was clothed in human flesh and walked among us, he was already there. And he's all through the Old Testament. And, it, and, and so, I am, I am speaks of God, speaks of Yahweh. And, um, and so, I want to look really quickly. Turn with me over to the book of John. And let me show you what I mean. John, I think it's John chapter 10. Let's go to John chapter 10. Okay, and um, actually go to first, let me, let me see, John, John chapter 8, John chapter 8. Okay, so Jesus is having this long conversation with the Jews, John chapter 8, verse 15, uh, verse 52, John eight fifty-two says, the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Alright, so uh, he says, 
Abraham died and the prophets also died. And you say that if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. So Jesus had just told him, he said, if you follow me, if you keep my words, you will never taste death. And then they said to Jesus, now we know you got a demon because Abraham and all the prophets are dead. Alright? What did he say? Those were the most righteous people on the face of the earth and they all died. So now we know you got a demon. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom, whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered and said, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me and of whom you say He is our God. And look at verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And then they picked up stones to stone him and threw to kill him. Why did they want to pick up stones and kill him? Listen, you can you'll talk to a lot of people and tell you, Oh, Jesus didn't think he was God. Jesus that's not what Jesus was saying. The reason they picked up stones and tried to kill him is just he just claimed deity. He just claimed to be God, and that's why those Jews picked up their stone and tried to kill him. What he's saying is, before Abraham was, I am. He was claiming to be the voice in the bush. Alright? Now, when you go through, if you look right here in, in the number 6 on the page that I gave you, it says, Jesus, I am statements in the Gospel of John. Um, so that if you look at all of those different passages in John... 6, 48, 8, 12, 9, 5, 10, 7, and 14, 11, 25, 14, 6, 15, 1. All of those, Jesus uses the term, I am. I'll, I'll, and we'll close with this. Look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Verse 7. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. Alright, verse 9. I am the door. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Now this refers, this refers to that revelation passage we just talked about. He said, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the world. No, he said, I lay my life down for my sheep. You see, if Jesus died for everybody in the whole world and somebody goes to hell, what that means is His work on the cross wasn't good enough to save that person. Alright? Now He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays His life down for sheep. So, He keeps using these I am statements and He's claiming who He is. Now, with that last statement there, and we'll close with this, I want you to think about this. He's staring at a bunch of men who are about wanting to nail him to a tree. They want to kill him. They want to destroy him is the word they use. Seeking a way that they might destroy him. And what did he just say to them? I am the good shepherd. Now, immediately, what are they thinking? Well, I got news for you. Every month or every week when they go to the temple, they would sing psalms. And one of the psalms that they would sing is, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. They would have sung that song. What's really cool about that is Jesus' great-great-granddaddy is the one that wrote it. And now Jesus is staring those men in the face and saying, That psalm's about me. I'm the good shepherd. And those who follow me get those promises. You see how that works? 
And so don't ever let anybody tell you that Jesus never claims to be God because it's all over it. it that's exactly what he's claiming. That's the reason that those people want to kill him because they don't believe him. So we'll close with that tonight. I hope that um, those two handouts that I gave you will give you plenty to chew on this week. Let's quickly close with a word of prayer and we'll call it a night. Father, thank you for this day. <clears throat> thank you for sending your son Jesus to save broken folks like us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds to the beauty of who you are. And my prayer is that as we've talked about you tonight, you are God and our King, our Lord and our Savior, um, our Shepherd and our Comforter, uh, that we will come to know you better and to trust you more and to walk with you more. And uh, give us the strength to know these truths and to believe these truths and receive these truths and stand firm in these truths. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.